Okay, the scriptures reading for day today are Acts chapter 4, 1 through 12. As we were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees came to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of, the, of those... But many of those who have heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, they, the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. Ananus, the high priest, was there, and Cephas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priest's descent. Then he had placed them in the center and began to inquire, By what power and what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, we have, we are on trial because for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how, as to how this man had been made well, let us be known for all of you that all, that to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by his name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is a stone which was rejected by you, the builder, but which become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other, no other name under the heavens that has been given among men by which he must be saved. Thank you. Be seated. Thankful for the ministry of music this morning as well. What a blessing it is to have people that are gifted in that way uh, come and share. Acts chapter 4, verse 1 through 12, that's going to be where we'll be today. Uh, Lord willing, the subject for today and for the next couple of weeks from Acts 4 is going to be the church victorious. That's going to be our study for the next, well, for today and the following two weeks, the church victorious. Let me open with a word of prayer. And we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for each one that's here. Father, there may be a lot of distractions in people's hearts and minds right now. I pray that you would remove them. Uh, help us to get there where we need to be, that we might have sweet fellowship with you in your word, Father. Uh, Father, help me as well. And uh, bless, bless our time there. Bless what is proclaimed and our response to it. And uh, may you be pleased, Father, with all of that. Father, would you do a work that only you can do? Speak to us uh, in ways that uh, we need to hear from you today. Father, I thank you that you are able to do that as we uh, look into your word. Thank you for the depth of your word, the richness of it, and how it transforms us into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. The church victorious. Mark Twain has been quoted for saying, Mark Twain, anyone familiar with Mark Twain? at least the name, <laughs> Mark Twain has been quoted for saying the two most important days, the two most important days in any person's life are the day they were born and the day they figured out why. The two most important days in any person's life, according to Mark Twain, are the day they were born and the day they figured out why. I'd invite you to think on that a little bit. Probably, for Mark Twain, from a secular point of view, well, maybe, I shouldn't say probably, maybe he meant with regard to someone's vocation. 
you know, why you were here put in on this earth. And there's something to consider there. And I thought just briefly, without our minds going too far that direction, I'd share something with maybe the younger people here. Maybe the older people would already be aware of this. The secret to finding the work you love, the secret to finding the work you love is loving the work you do. Just something I was thinking about. The secret to finding the work you love is loving the work you're doing right now. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm speaking from experience. The secret to finding the work you love is loving the work you do. Loving what God is, has you doing right this moment. Something to think about. But that's not the direction I want to go with Mark Twain's quote. With regard to the two most important days in any person's life are the day they were born and the day they figured out why. Because as we make our way through Acts chapter 4, uh, we have been going through the book of Acts and have seen what is commonly recognized as the birth of the church. That would be a very important day in the life of the church, wouldn't it? The day of Pentecost. And now we've moved into the days that have followed and we can see this church growing, exciting things and explosive growth characterize this first century church in Jerusalem. And in chapter 4, as Peter and John interact with those in opposition and with the growing church, you not only can recognize that the church was born, but also but also that it has figured out why. That it knows why. So today we're going to study the church victorious when it knows its purpose from these 12 verses. The church is victorious when it knows its purpose. Next week, it'll be the church victorious as it displays the undeniable presence of God. And Lord willing, the following week, the church victorious as it rejoices in heavenly perspectives. That's where we're going to be today and for the next couple of weeks. Jesus said in Matthew, i do that quicker. In Matthew 16:18, I realize this isn't the whole of the verse, but this is the portion of the verse I'd like to share. I will build my church, and the gates of hell or the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I can recognize in this statement that there are two combatants. Can you see it? In this statement, there are two combatants. The church and the gates of Hades. And one victorious. One victorious. Ultimately, the church is victorious because of Christ's finished work and his promise here. But the battles, but the battles rage on, don't they? The battles rage on. The church is victorious when it knows its purpose. I'm going to ask, do you think it's safe to say the apostolic church, the church that Peter and John are a part of here in Acts chapter 4, do you think it's safe to say that they are not confused about their purpose or their message? I think it's safe to say that. Twenty-some centuries later, do you think it's safe to say that Big picture, the church is not confused about their purpose and their message. Maybe there'd be a different conversation we'd be having about that, right? But the church is victorious when it knows its purpose. 
And Peter has preached a sermon and is, and is interacting with some people from a position, from a position of victory. Peter has preached a sermon and is interacting with the people who have responded to this sermon from a position of victory, not from a position of retreat in any way, shape, or form. The church is victorious when it knows its purpose. The first point to this message is the church is victorious when preaching the truth. When preaching the truth. Victorious through the faithful proclamation of the Gospel. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. The first thing on that list is the teaching of the apostles or the apostles' teaching. The church is victorious when preaching the truth. In 2 Timothy 4.2, 2 Timothy being probably one of the last writings that Paul writes, and he's writing to a younger man, Timothy, a pastor, and he's telling him things that he ought to share with other men, godly men, that they might carry on the ministry. And he tells Timothy that he ought to preach the Word. To preach the Word. To be ready in season and out of season. In other words, when when it's favorable and when it's not. When it's favorably looked upon and when it's not. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say whatever their itching ears want to hear. I think it might be safe to say that this characterizes the culture we live in today. He goes on to say they'll turn aside to myths. They'll turn aside to myths. Instead of following the truth, they'll turn aside to myths. And again, Timothy was to train other men to carry on this duty. We know that from 2 Timothy 2, 2-3. through But Peter in this sermon has made some very declarative statements. Not speculation, but declaration. Declaration. Not speculation. And we can see here in these first two verses of chapter 4, the responses, the first four verses really, the responses of the proclamation of the Gospel. Acts 4. 1 and 2, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Here's one of the responses to the proclamation of the gospel. In a word, it's opposition, right? It's opposition. That's one of the responses to the proclamation of the gospel. As you look at verse 1, it's obvious there's going to be conflict. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. Peter and John see this coming. And everyone else, as, as, as these men are coming up toward Peter and John, they see the conflict coming. Probably at some point in your life, you've been in a similar situation. At some event, at some point, I'm thinking of one that that I won't share with you now, but I could see the conflict coming a mile away. And things got real serious real fast. 
the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were still speaking to the people. They're not going to wait for them to finish. The opposition's come, the opposition rather comes in the form of intimidation. They're trying to intimidate them. That's one of the tactics that's brought against us. There are those mentioned here who are looking for confrontation, and Peter and Peter and John are the ones about to be confronted. And I think you can make no mistake here, this is going to be spiritual conflict. The Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, eh? Ron's been teaching us from Joshua principles of spiritual conquest. And with that, we've been learning to expect conflict. He was speaking about it again this morning. Because those opposed to the truth can get their feathers ruffled when exposed to the truth in the setting we're looking at in Acts 4 here. Those opposed to the truth can get their feathers ruffled when exposed to the truth. So what a target the church must be, right? When you consider the responsibility the church has in carrying and guarding the truth, what a target the church must be for the enemy. And when you consider all the ways the enemy might try to disrupt what the church's purpose is, all the different ways, In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says this to Timothy, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. What a snapshot taken for us of the church. Did you ever get to looking at old family photographs? Got boxes of them at home? I love pictures. I know it's fun to take pictures on phones, but it drives me nuts. I don't have a physical picture to look at. And when you're looking at a snapshot, there's an image of someone in that snapshot, but what's behind them, the background, tells a lot of the story, doesn't it? It takes you right back. It brings you right into that moment. It helps you to understand what was taking place then. It reminds you of those things. When Timothy says this, in first, when Paul rather says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. I see this as a snapshot of the church. Paul's concern for the conduct in the house of God. In the house of God. What a name for the church, eh? The house of God. That means everyone in that house is family. And they ought to conduct themselves in that way. And he calls it the church of the living God. He's the, church, he's the God of the living, not the God of the dead, right? It's the church of the living God. And then this statement, the pillar and ground of the truth. One commentator named Ellicott says this with regard to that statement, the pillar and ground of the truth. Were there no church, there would be no witness, no guardian of archives, no basis, nothing whereon acknowledged truth could rest. I'm asking you to consider the privileges and the purpose of the church. 
with this thought that I'm trying to frame up here, this snapshot, this picture of the church. Eh? The privileges and the purpose of the church. The church is victorious when it knows its purpose. The truths of the gospel have been entrusted to the church, not to anybody else. Not to anyone else. So the church is victorious when it's preaching the truth. But those who are opposed to the message have come and confronted the messengers. Because why? Because they think, they believe contrary to the truth. That's why. They're greatly disturbed, it says in verse 2. Being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They're greatly disturbed at the content of what is being preached. Even today, you can hear people, even today, you can hear people preaching all kinds of things. All kinds of things. Usually, most pe- people, most people preach themselves, don't they? Usually, most people you run into preach something of themselves. The world according to me. The good news of self-promotion. It's varied in its versions, but it's always the gospel according to me. The more clever folks are, the more they realize they can't be blatant in their self-promotion, so they might hide that kind of thing behind false humility, right? People can accept that kind of a gospel. There's no persecution for that. You can go to work and you can interact all day long with a gospel according to you. With, hey, this is me, this is what I think. But you bring Jesus in there. You preach the gospel that the church is to preach. You stay consistent with the message that's given to the church. You stay consistent to the purpose of that's been given the purposes that have been given to the church and persecution's going to come verse 2 it says they're disturbed they're grieved they're worried they've toiled through this in their mind they're ticked off they're mad they are mad that they are teaching in Jesus the resurrection of the dead proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead the sadducees can't bear with that They don't believe in the resurrection from the dead. And so anything contrary to their presuppositions with regard to that has to be silenced. And this is the same group that came to Jesus when he was in his earthly ministry. And they pose this question. It's a phony question. Hey, Jesus, there's this man, teacher, there's this man who married a woman and they had no children and then he died and then his brother married that woman and they had no children and he died and this happened seven times and then the last brother died and then she died and they have no kids in heaven whose wife will she be and they posed that question because they didn't believe in the resurrection and jesus says to them you are mistaken because you do not know what what didn't they know the power of god they didn't know the scriptures nor the power of god the two things they didn't know this is the same group they believe what they believe but they believe wrongly There's a resurrection from the dead. So they want to silence Peter and John. But the church is victorious when it preaches the truth. 
And Peter and John, these guys are operating according to purpose. When the church knows its purpose, it's victorious. When the church knows its purpose, you can see that the church is victorious even when facing opposition. This is to our second point. Even in the face of opposition. The purpose is not lost when faced with persecution. Being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Again, there's going to be two responses to a faithful proclamation of the truth. Acceptance and rejection. The first account of per- in, in verses 1 through 3, we have the first account of persecution against the church. They lay their hands on them. Peter and John are going to spend a night in jail. They're going to be treated as criminals for declaring truth. Imagine that. Treated as a criminal for speaking the truth. For speaking the truth. The first aggression against the church and the goal is to silence them. I want to give us a word of caution here. One, A couple of words of caution. We're not apostles. We're not the apostles of the first century church. That's one word of caution. I don't want to go into more detail than that. Secondly, as believers, we are to speak the truth, but we are to speak the truth in love, it says in Ephesians 4.15. We are to speak the truth in love. A couple of things with regard to that. I think I've said it before. If you're going to speak the truth, eventually the truth has to be spoken. It has to be said out loud. People can know you by your life, but they only really know to come come to know your Savior when you speak the truth. It, Jesus has to be proclaimed. But we, are, we are to speak the truth in love. First Peter. Uh, 4, 15 and 16 says, Make sure none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if any of you suffer as a Christian, you are not to be ashamed, but glorify God in His name. In His name. Persecution is going to come when you speak the truth. We should expect it. How does Jesus view the persecution of the church? In Acts 9.1, you don't need to turn there, but it says, now Saul, that is Paul, but prior to becoming Paul, he was Saul. Now Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. You get to Acts 9.4, and Jesus meets Saul on the Damascus Road, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? How does Jesus view the persecution of the church? He views it as a, he views it as a persecution of himself. Of himself. Why are you persecuting me? He asks him. How do Peter and John and the church view it? Or how are we to view it? We're going to be looking at that in the next couple of weeks. But just for now, I'd like us to notice that they are bound in jail. They laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day for it was already evening. They're bound up in jail because they are doing what Jesus has told them to do in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. They're doing what Jesus has told them to do and they're bound up in jail for that, for bearing witness in word and for an act of kindness. And with that in mind, 
they're bound in jail, I'd ask you to consider what can be bound and what cannot be bound. What can be bound and what cannot be bound. Peter and John, they're bound. Brothers and sisters in hostile countries are bound. You and I maybe someday might be bound for faithfully preaching the word of truth. Paul, again in 2 Timothy 2.8-9, says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained, or God's word is not bound. We can be bound, but the word of God is not bound. The Word of God is not bound. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We're not to go out looking for persecution, but when the church knows and is committed to its purpose, persecution can come. Hey, Persecution can come. trying to bring out this idea, this concept of the church victorious. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Again, in there is the church is going to be victorious, but there is conflict. There is battle and we're engaged in it. We are engaged in it and we are victorious when we stick to our purpose and we're victorious even in persecution, even when there's persecution. What a powerful truth for a church that knows its purpose. Truth to hang on to in the midst of persecution that Jesus considers it as persecution of himself and the fact that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In verse 4, but many of those who had heard the message believed. Now here's the other response. And obviously we can see the church victorious in the positive response. Even as the persecution is coming on those delivering the message, there's this positive response. And the number of men came to be about 5,000, it says. People are believing what they have heard. The church is victorious when preaching the truth, and that is evident in the positive response. Many heard and believed. There's 5,000 men now, not counting women and children, so thousands more believed. And they were added They were added to the church. That's what happens when someone believes. They become part of something. When someone believes, they become part of something bigger than themselves. That's a message in itself. But they do not become a part of a separate body. There's one spirit and one body and one hope. There's one body with many parts, each having a function. And God has arranged the members as He saw fit, it says in 1 Corinthians 12.18. I thought about starting when I first came up here because I was thinking about all the different involvements of this church family. And I wanted to share it right off the jump. And when I got up here, it just went out of my mind. But I'll share, with it. I'll share it with you now. It is a joy to be a part of this church family. God has arranged each member of the body, just as he has saw fit. And, and, and this church is involved in the function of the church. It's a joy to be a part of this church family. 
And as the church sees men and women and boys and girls come to faith, it confirms the purpose. It's what it's all about. You see someone come to faith, someone, someone that we've been praying for, you see that person come to faith, what a joy. The church is victorious when it experiences growth. In this opening section of Acts, thousands are seen coming to faith in Jesus. And they were counting them, I guess, because they keep giving us numbers. I want to share a couple of words here, a couple of thoughts here. One, about the times when you may not see anything happening. Secondly, I would like to share something with regard to someone who might say to themselves, well, I'm not Peter or Timothy or a pastor or an elder or a teacher. So to the first one, of all the times when you may not see anything happening. There's a missionary who served in the isolated people groups of South America. A few years back I read a book about this. I can't remember the name of the book and I don't remember the name of the missionary. But he went. And he was close to losing his life a few times. And as he went to these different villages and interacted with the people, there was one tribe in particular that gave no response to the gospel. He got to know them a little bit. They almost killed him. Uh, one person within that tribe was kind enough to him that he was able to stay alive. I forget how many months or years he was there. And he left there thinking that nothing happened. All that was for nothing. And some years went by, and as he ministered in different tribes and, and saw some success, and he got to have some interaction with that tribe again, he came to understand that the ministry that, that took place there bore fruit. That tribe ended up trusting Jesus, hey, in mass. I wish I could maybe, I'll see if I can't find that book, and I'll give credit where it's due. But that happens sometimes. Sometimes God doesn't let us see what is going on. Sometimes if he let us see what was going on, we'd attribute that to ourselves or our ability to figure things out or to, to make the right program or to have the right plan or to get things right or to something like that. But sometimes God doesn't let us see what's going on because it would feed our pride. Or for some other reason, unknown to us, he might not let us see that. And then sometimes he lets us see all kinds of wonderful things happening to encourage us and to strengthen us and who knows what his purposes are in all that? But my point is, the first century church saw this tremendous growth, thousands coming to faith. But sometimes, you might not see anything happening. And then to those who might say that, hey, I'm not Peter or Timothy or Paul or John, It says in Acts 8.2, those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. You have a testimony. If you know Jesus, you can preach the gospel to someone. There's nothing keeping you from doing that. You can share the gospel with someone. The church is victorious when it knows its purpose. Mark Twain's comment, the two most important days in any person's life is the day they were born and the day they figured out why. If you've come to faith in Christ, you've been born again. Have you figured out why? Have you, do you know why? I'm confident many of you do. I'm also confident we could all grow in this area and there may be some that haven't figured that out yet. Paul has a mission from a man 
of a man from Macedonia and he finds himself preaching to Lydia. Philip was sent on a desert road to preach to just one man. He was called from a very fruitful ministry in Samaria and he's sent on this desert road to preach the message to just one individual. It's not our job to figure out what God's got going on all the time. It's our job to just be faithful to the message. Just be faithful to the message. The church is victorious when it knows its purpose and it's faithful to it. And even through persecution and opposition. Okay, to the last point. In these next verses, we're going to have to touch on them a little bit next week, but the church is victorious when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verses 5 through 12. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas and and Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly descent. Well, there's the there are power players, right? And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire by what power or in what name have you done this? All that excitement from the day before, Peter preaching that message and thousands coming to faith and the next day comes, Peter and John are still in jail and they're going to be questioned and the intimidation factor is going to increase. The next day is going to come for them, right? The next day, the next day is going to come for them. They're going to have to go through each day. It's a new day. The prominent among their people, it says, the powerful and influential people are going to sit in judgment of those who they would deem as insignificant. The powerful and influential are going to sit in judgment of those they would deem as insignificant. But who's who in that setting? Who's the powerful and who's the insignificant in that setting? The church is victorious when it knows its purpose and its place. These guys got nothing on Peter and John. Verse 6 tells us some of the specific people who were to sit in judgment of Peter and John and what they, with regard to what they had done in healing this man. And the question seems to carry with it the possibility, the questions they're going to ask seem to carry with it the possibility of death if you consider Deuteronomy 13. And I'll just read Deuteronomy 13, a few verses here. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him. You shall keep His commandments, listen to His voice, serve Him and cling to Him. But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who has brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you away from, to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. You shall purge the evil from among you. So the, the council here has a responsibility. So I think they're living up to that responsibility in some regard, but they've missed, they've missed their Messiah, right? And so they're being questioned, Peter and John are, with the possibility of death hanging over their heads. I think they'd be aware of that. But the church is victorious when empowered by the Holy Spirit and then placed in the center of attention. Look, when they place them in the center, here's all these guys going to judge Peter and John, and Peter and John 
representative of the church are placed in the center, in the center of attention. And when that happens, when the church is in the center of attention, have you ever seen an athlete who has claimed to be a Christian and you've been supporting them, not in any kind of financial way and not in any kind of verbal way, just in your own heart, you're thinking, man, I really like that guy. And then somewhere along the way, he kind of falls apart. You're thinking, oh, oh, that damages the te- your testimony. Really doesn't honor the Lord. Or maybe a politician has done something similar, hey? Or maybe we have. To someone, you are the best Christian someone knows. The church is victorious when empowered by the Holy Spirit. When the church is placed front and center, when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, You know, if the attention is going to be put on us as a church or the representatives of the church, wouldn't it be wonderful to know that we were filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment and we weren't interacting in the flesh? Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was always the case? We need to be praying for for each other in regard to that. We need to be thinking about each other with regard to that. All of us, we're all involved in different areas of, of opportunities for ministry. We need to be praying for one another with regard to this. We interact with the world. And we know that we're nothing but dust apart from Christ. We don't have what it takes. We stumble along. We're awkward. We get it wrong. Our egos get in the way. Things happen. And we're not operating in the Spirit. And then when the spotlight shined on us, what happens? But here, the church is victorious when empowered by the Holy Spirit. Here is Peter and John and this man placed in the center. Then Peter, it says in verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, there it is. The church, as represented by Peter and John, what are they going to do? They're going to proclaim Christ. We can do that when we get it wrong. I've had to do that. We can do it when we get it right. The Lord's given me opportunity to do that. I've had to go to co-workers and say, you know what? I really goofed that up. The Lord would not have wanted me to interact that way or not have wanted me... I've had to do that. You can honor the Lord even when you get it wrong. You can honor the Lord when you get it right. John 16, 14, Jesus uh, says of the Holy Spirit, He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and disclose it to you. And in Luke 12, 11 and 12, Jesus says to His disciples, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And that's what's taking place here. 
It's it's really beautiful. It is. But but Peter doesn't back down. He doubles down. And he's able to do that because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Again, he's just doubling down about what he's already preached. By this name, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which, came, which, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The Holy Spirit gives him words that puts the burden back on those that are going to sit in judgment of Peter and John. In verse 9, he says it's a good thing that has been done. In verse 10, he doubles down on the message. In verse 11, he says that they have rejected the authority that was over them. That's Jesus. And in verse 12, he concludes with the way of salvation. We've got to conclude this message today. I don't know what you're going to get out of this, but the church is victorious when it knows its purpose and when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit in pointing people to Jesus. The church is empowered in that way. The church has many problems. And we can come up with many programs, and sometimes there's persecution, but it is victorious. The church is victorious when it sticks to its purpose, even through persecution and when empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's close. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Father, I pray that um, you would just bless your word to our hearts and our minds and our lives this week. Help us, Father, to interact from a position of victory not defeat. As we interact with one another, as we interact with those we know, as we interact within our families, within this church family, Father, help us to interact from a position of victory and not defeat. And that victory is in Christ. Help us to be faithful to what we've been called to. In Christ's name, for His glory, amen.